0: Amen. Good job, Cindy. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5. The title of the message is Living the Christian Life. Don't raise your hand, but be honest. How many of you struggle with that? Living the Christian Life. I grew up in a church came to faith at at an early age, was about 12 years old, 12 to 13, when I prayed and trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my life, for the next few years, I was in church all the time. I went on every retreat there was. I was one of those kids, youth pastors. Joe, you ever have one of those kids that just, they're going to show up. You could say we're tarring the roof on July the 4th. And this kid's showing up. I've heard from my youth pastor in recent days In fact, we had a youth group reunion back in the last fall, and and I was one of those kids that he didn't always enjoy seeing. (laughs) In fact, my wife and I grew up in the same youth group, and I asked him one day, I said, Hank, his name was Hank, I said, did you ever think we would have been married and been married this long, and would you have put us together when we were in high school? He said, I wouldn't have put you with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, thanks, that's encouraging. That's what you want to hear from your youth pastor. But I struggle with this. I go on the retreat, have an authentic relationship with God, and have an authentic experience on the retreat, come back fired up, going to charge hell with a water pistol, so to speak, going to live for Jesus, never sin again. That's what you think. And about two weeks after the retreat's over, I'm right back in the pits of really not living for God, not living in the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living out through my life. And so my spiritual life looked like a a roller coaster for a while. And I remember I was 16 or 17 years old, sitting in the driveway of one of my best friends. We ended up being college roommates our first year. His name's Tim. And I said, Tim, I'm just tired of coming off retreats, having this great experience with God, this mountaintop experience, and Get back all these promises that I make, and I said. Then two weeks later, I need another retreat. I'm right back where I started. I said, "What are we going to do different this time?" Here's what Tim's advice was. He said, "Let's pray hard." So I thought, okay. So I thought, you know, is this going to impress God if I squint my eyes a little tighter and put on a preacher voice when I pray? Is that is that what it's going to take? And I think I thought that was what was going to happen. If I just tried harder, I was going to live the Christian life. Can I just say that doesn't work? So if you struggle with that and you thought, you know, I can, I'll take enough notes, I'll read enough books, I'll go to church enough, through my own effort, I got this, I'm going to live the Christian life. doesn't work that doesn't work that way. And I wish I discovered that when I was a teenager instead of well into my 20s before I re- finally realized what it meant to just surrender to Christ. So Paul, we're now in chapter 5 of Galatians, and most of what Paul's talked about, the L word that he's mentioned before chapter 5, is the law. And so he's teaching and preaching against legalism. He's preaching, teaching and preaching against this idea that if I can just keep the law, God will love me. And I'll be accepted. Someday I'm going to face God. And He's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And you're going to say, because I'm a good person. And you know it. I wonder how many sorely disappointed people there are that that's the story of their life. Now the word that he uses in this chapter, he doesn't use the word but the concept, and that's license. He's saying here, listen, you, you've experienced grace. Don't turn that into an opportunity for the flesh. Let me read the first few verses of chapter 5, verse 13 and following. This passage we're going to cover through chapter five twenty-six. Let me just start with verse 13 and read through 18 just to get us started on our first point. For you were called, brethren, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things you did that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the first thought is there's a battle, there's a conflict within. And that is the Spirit versus the flesh. Listen, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God has taken up residence within your life. The Holy Spirit is in you at work. There's a problem. You still have an old nature. That according to Ephesians, Paul writes, is being corrupted. In other words, your nature's worse now than it was a year ago. If you came to Christ five years ago, your your nature, your sin nature, is worse. Hopefully, you're becoming more and more transformed into the image of Christ. So it's less and less evident and powerful in your life. But there's still times we're part of the battle. So Paul says, your call for freedom. You've been set free from what? First of all, from the law. That's what he's been talking about for five chapters. So these people in Galatia have, have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but there's these Judaizers that are coming getting in their ears saying, that was good, but incomplete. You place your faith in Jesus, but you've got to add something to the cross, and that is do all those things in the Old Testament. Well, who wrote the Old Testament? Well, God did. God breathed it. Men wrote it down. But it was God who gave us the law in the first place. So it wasn't a bad thing, but what was the purpose of the law? It was to point us to our desperate need of a Savior. Why? Because we couldn't keep the law. Has anybody ever lived that perfectly kept the law? Jesus. This is one time the Sunday school answer is correct. This is one time when the pastor says, "Ask a question, just say Jesus, you got it right. He's the only one that lived a perfect life. Has anyone here ever lived a perfect life? No. If you were tempted to raise your hand, don't. God knows. Your friends know. So Paul says, You've been called for freedom, only don't let that fact become an opportunity for the flesh. The word opportunity is a military term, it was the base of operation by which attacks were launched. And he's saying, Listen, rest in your freedom, rest in the fact you have liberty in Christ, only don't take the grace of God and cheapen it by thinking, Well, you know, I'm forgiven. I can live any way I want to. If you believe that, you don't understand grace. You really don't understand relationship with God. There's Some people are afraid of preaching about grace because they're thinking, man, if people in the church really understood God's grace, they'd go out and sin willfully. No, they wouldn't. So teach grace in all of its fullness. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't allow this new freedom, the grace of God, you receiving what you didn't deserve. Freedom. Don't allow that to turn into... The starting point for sin. Christian freedom is not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. And then Paul gets to this one word, love. He says, through love, serve one another. The whole law could be fulfilled in this one word. Remember somebody, a man, came to Jesus in the Gospels. We read the story. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees were constantly trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to come up, let's come up with a question that we can ask that Jesus can't answer. So one of them came up to him one night and said, what's the greatest commandment? And honestly, I think part of the reason they were wanting to know the greatest commandment is they realized we can't keep the Ten Commandments, much less those hundreds and hundreds of other commandments in the Old Testament. If we can just keep one or two, then maybe they'll give us credit. And so they came up and said, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, mind. That's the greatest commandment. And the other one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Repeated here by the Apostle Paul. That one word, four-letter word, love. You know what? Look at the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. If we genuinely loved God, we wouldn't have idols. We wouldn't take his name in vain. Which serve him and him only, and the second, the sixth commandments have to do with our neighbor. If we really loved our neighbor, we wouldn't steal from him. We wouldn't commit adultery with him. We wouldn't lie. We wouldn't murder. So Paul saying it really all comes down to that one word, and yet there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Has that ever happened at your church? I know it's never happened at a church represented here, but I hear stories of other churches. We had a group on campus a few years ago. On Sunday night, they had to call the police to church. They had a business meeting, fight breaks out. And it may surprise you it was between two women. A woman on one side of the church got up and started talking about another lady. Lady on the other side of church gets up and says, Are you talking about me? He said, You're right, big girl. Fight breaks out. When I see them, it's Monday morning. They're kind of just reeling. They're saying, You know, we're thinking about having sh- church made up. Nobody fights like Baptists. This just happened to be a Baptist church. And so what can happen in church where it ought to be that we love one another? is that we bite and devour one another. The word bite was a term you'd use of a snake or a wild animal that's nipping at you, trying to inject poison or enough teeth marks to do damage to you. And can you believe that happens sometimes in the body of Christ? That happens in the church? Why is that? Because there's a battle going on between what? The spirit and the flesh. And sometimes it's because there's people in the church who don't know Christ. There's other times there's people in the church who do know Christ. They're just not letting him leave. They're trying to take the seat on the throne themselves. And so they bite and devour one another. Bite means to bite. Devour means to consume. Literally, it was used of a fire. You light something and you just watch it burn down or burn up. But it's eaten up. He said, that's what's going to happen. If you would love each other, then you wouldn't have to worry about the law." But watch out that you don't allow your liberty to become licensed. You take advantage of God's grace and you start biting and devouring one another. Instead, walk by the Spirit. All right. So what's the secret to the Christian life then? If we're going to live the Christian life, understand there's a battle between the Spirit and the flesh. The flesh is your old nature that still at times wants to, wants to rule and be in control. And you hate it, but it's there anyway. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. More on that later. But that's, if you need to write down a note, is this. How are you going to live the Christian life tomorrow and the next day? And the next day is to constantly, consistently, faithfully walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit have control. And you won't carry out the deeds of the flesh. He continues to talk about the desire of a flesh. It's literally a longing for something you really don't need. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh. You don't have to turn here. In fact, I'd rather you just listen to Paul. Same author in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage, into sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if you do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. And he continues. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever felt that way? You ever come to God sometime and just say, God, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking over the last day. I'm asking you to forgive me. But God, I don't even want to do what it is I'm doing. You feel convicted. You feel guilty. And Paul finally at the end of chapter 7 says, Woe is me. I'm ruined. What's my hope? And verse 1 of chapter 8 says, There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That blows my mind. Paul says, yes, I see growth in my life, but you know, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about, chapter 7 of Romans, saying, you know what? There's still sin. There's still things I don't want to do that I'm doing. And the things I do want to do, I'm not doing. There's still periods of disobedience in my life that I wish wasn't there. But I'm glad to know that I'm not condemned because of the grace of God. So be careful that we don't use that thought for license. Be careful how we treat one another. The enemy wants you to have a casual attitude towards sin. The enemy wants it to be all about you. The enemy wants you to constantly be looking out for your rights and privileges, and everybody else is here just to serve you. And Paul turns that totally around and says, No, through love, we ought to serve one another. In fact, what did Jesus say? Matthew 20. Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. In fact, gave His life as a ransom for many. So that's the Spirit versus the flesh. And then He's going to give us an illustration. He's going to to give us a distinct difference in the next few verses, 19 through 23. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul's showing a distinct difference. He's saying, if your life is characterized by this first list, there ought to be a flashing light going on. There ought to be a siren. Woo! Warning! And he doesn't even give a complete list because he says things like this. He gives this long, detailed list of things that if you're sitting there going, yep, I got that one. And they kind of break down into three parts. The first have to do with, with sexual sin. The second one has to do with religion. So immorality, impurity, sensuality, if your life is controlled by those things and those are the things you are practicing and you're never experiencing the discipline of the Lord in that, then you need to come to faith in Christ. Because God's Word tells us God disciplines those whom He loves. Those who are His children He will discipline. You're not going to be able to keep doing those things without sensing God's conviction to change the second group is idolatry and sorcery it's idolatry is trying to fashion something or find something that's not god but it's where you're turning to have all your needs met in fact it's interesting the word sorcery is the greek word former which we get our word pharmaceutical or pharmacy from it had to do with mind-altering drugs that's what it became to be known but it was what they used in religious rites. And then the rest of them have to do with your relationship with other people. The strife, the enmity, the disputes, the dissensions, And then things like this. And Paul says, I'm forewarning you. In fact, I have warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you think, well, wait a minute. If, if I ever mess up in one of those areas, no. It's the word practice. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 says, It's obvious who the children of God are and the children of the devil. Anyone who does not practice righteousness. It means the habit of your life is righteousness. doesn't mean sometimes there's a blip on the screen of sin that you confess and God's forgiven you of. But this is the habit of your life, the pattern of your life. You look at your life and say, My life is characterized by this list and not that one. Then, uh-oh, you better do something about it. So he's given this glaring example of here's one set of behaviors that indicate somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Then he gives the fruit of the Spirit. There's two things I want you to even understand about that word. It's fruit, singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. This is the evidence of the Spirit at work in your life are these things, love, joy, peace, and so on. But it's also fruit and not work. You're never going to see an apple tree straining to produce apples. But here's what could happen. You sit in a church service like this, and you hear those nine things, and you think, well, I don't see those evidenced in my life enough or at all. So I'm going to strain and make that happen. I'm going to love people. Apart from Christ in your life, that isn't going to work. The Bible says God is love. The only way you're going to agape somebody else, which is love, unconditional, love without strings attached, is if God's doing it through you. You cannot produce this fruit on your own. It's got to be a fruit of the Spirit. Joy. You're not going to experience joy apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, I'm happy. There's a big difference in happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on external circumstances. Some of you are going to go to a buffet for lunch. And you're going to be happy (laughs) until the bill comes. (laughs) And you're on your way home thinking, why did I eat so much? See, all that's external. Joy is internal. Joy comes because of the Spirit's presence in your life. I saw a sign in a bookstore sometime. And sometimes Christian bookstores have cheesy signs. This was a good one. It says, joy is not the absence of sorrow. It is the presence of God. You can experience joy even in the midst of dark times in life. Why? Because it's not externally produced, it's internally. It's the presence of God in your life. Peace. Just a tranquility of heart of knowing that you're right with God. In fact, the Bible says that God can give a peace that passes understanding. What does that mean? It means you could be in the midst of horrible circumstances and yet still be overwhelmed by the peace of God, His presence in your life. Paul goes on and lists nine things that are fruit that are evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. Ever picked apples? Last couple of years, we've gone up to the mountains of North Carolina in September, October, and and picked apples. And there's one apple orchard that I really like because you pay like ten dollars and get a bag, and then you walk through and eat all the apples you want and then just fill the bag up when you're done and go home with your $10 worth of apples. Well, what I've discovered is you'll, you'll get to a section where all those trees are the same, but some of the apples taste better on some trees. So what you do is, like, try this tree, and you figure, well, all the apples on that tree are going to taste pretty much the same. So we're going to get, You finally find one that tastes good, so that's when you load your bag up. That's what Paul's saying is there's, there's a goodness produced by the Spirit of God in your life, and it's the fruit of these things. It's a good tree. And that tree's not straining. It's just what happens because it's an apple tree. Well, what happens because you're a child of God is fruit will be produced. And there's spiritual growth involved, so you're going to see some a little more evident than others, some a little stronger than others. But you ought to see in your life the pattern, the practice, the habit of your life is more this than that. So those are the fruit of the Spirit, not your works. And listen, don't leave here with this list of nine things in your head saying, I'm going to try harder. I want to be able to go to people next week and say, See these nine things? You see them in my life? You wait till next week. You can't produce this fruit. You can't produce apples if you're not an apple tree. You can't produce spiritual fruit if you're not a believer, if you're not a child of God. In fact, the most frustrating thing in life, because i talk talked to people like this, that grew up in the church and were frustrated, ready to give up on the Christian life. Why? Because they never trusted Christ. They just tried to live like a Christian. They tried to act like something they weren't. So if that's you this morning, if you see this list, the immorality, the impurity, if you see that is more the habit of your life, give your life to Christ. Allow Him to forgive you of this and start working on you because it's the Spirit doing it in your life, not you. Last thing. Last two verses. Paul closes this section by simply saying, live by the Spirit. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Sounds simple but it's only possible as you surrender your life every day to the Spirit of God and His work within you. Those who belong to Christ. Those who are Christ's possession. So my question for you is, do you belong to Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life where you surrendered your life to Christ? I'm not talking about whether you go to church or you're religious or not. I'm talking about have you ever come to a place where you recognize, I need a Savior. Why? Because I'm a sinner. We all are. And yet we give our life to Christ. We surrender to Him. Ask Him to save us, to forgive us, to take up residence in our life through the person of the Holy Spirit and to live the Christian life in and out through us. Paul says if you've done that, then you crucified the flesh. Picture of the cross, Jesus on it, paying the penalty for your sin. Your flesh, that fleshly nature, the nature that said, I don't want God's way, I want my way. It's been nailed to the cross. Don't take it off. Leave it there. Let that be a picture. Just your ungodly nature, the nature in you that wants to do everything but honor God. is crucified at the cross. Leave it up there. Don't take it down. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk... By the Spirit. Paul uses that term walk a lot in his writings. Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. I don't know if he says it in every letter, but a lot of it is walk. And I used to think, that is so hard. What does that mean? It means to walk. It means the habit of your life. I don't think anymore about putting my left foot in front of my right. I don't. Even, it's just my nature now. I know how to walk. I learned it when I was young. And so Paul says, do that. In fact, in Colossians he says, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in Him. How did we receive Him? We received Him, surrendered and crucified at the cross. And so if I come to Christ crucified, that's the way i live the rest of my life. And yeah, He's got a plan for my life, but I live it out now by the power of Christ living through me. Let me close with four thoughts. Just as I studied this passage this week, I just had some four so what's. Okay. You've heard the passage. First is this. I've already said it, but the Christian life is impossible without the Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, you can't do what Paul's asking you to do. Second, your best effort is never good enough. Trying harder doesn't work, so surrender. Third, whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you feed will grow. If you feed the Spirit, the Spirit will grow in your life. you feed the flesh, that's what's going to grow. If you're spending time in prayer and Bible study, you're spending time in small group, you're spending time with your youth group, you're spending time surrounded by Christian influence, you're feeding that, that's what'll grow. If you're spending your time walking, watching the wrong stuff, listening to the wrong stuff, doing the wrong stuff, you're feeding the flesh, that'll grow. And last, it's the Spirit that's at work in you, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for the truth. And God, we confess living the Christian life's hard. In fact, it's impossible for us. And most of us in this room have tried to do it in our own strength. And Lord, I I thank you. That did not work. God, I pray today would be a day where we surrender our life. And we ask the Spirit. If we're a child of God, he's already there. We just constantly, faithfully, consistently surrender to him. Every day. When we mess up, we come back to God and thank Him for His forgiveness. And ask Him to have His way in us. Thank you for that truth in Christ's name.